Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of SLP Talk Show. I'm Carrie, and I'm here with my husband and partner in crime, Jim. That's me. We're back. We're back. We're back for another episode. It's been a busy few weeks uh, for me. I've been traveling all over uh, for yeah. what, the past four weeks, I yep. think. I presented in Wisconsin, Iowa, Mississippi, just got back from Kentucky. Yep. So Rolling Stone gathers no moss. That's right. That's right. It's been a whirlwind. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind. You know, I did something really cool when I was in Kentucky uh, at the venue where I was staying there was a concert and so I went to with I took my sister and you know yeah. uh, went to the Journey concert so yeah. it was pretty cool yeah you're not much of a concert goer no now. it's actually can you believe this my first ever concert but so what'd you think though it was amazing for somebody who really doesn't do noise and doesn't do loud yeah. mm-hmm. I have to say I enjoyed <clears throat> it thoroughly and I think it's because the music was like from my high school I mean it was so awesome <laughs> yeah, I loved everything about you identified it identified with it I did identify with it it was a lot of fun so I put some serious miles on the speedometer uh, I prefer to drive when I can just because flying is mm-hmm. sometimes a nightmare so I have been driving 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 um but anyways uh we're back and before we jump into our discussion today what do you think Jim how about a quick game of chump or champ okay are you feeling lucky sure okay four questions Okay. Let's see how you do. Question number one. What element has the chemical se- symbol F-E? Uh, that is um, iron. Correct. Where do you find penguins? North or South Pole? South Pole. Yes. How many Olympic rings are there? Five. Excellent. And let's see if you can go four for four. If you get this one, I'm going to buy you a prize. Okay. Okay. Not right. a new car, but I'm going to buy you a prize. Okay. <laughs> how many ribs do humans have? 32. No. 23. How could there be an odd number? 24. <laughs> okay, that's right. 24. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All why, right. Why would there be an... Yeah, I guess there's... Well, you have to... Surely you have the same number on each side of your body, right? Symmetry. Human beings well, are symmetrical. I was thinking 23 on each side. I don't know. Oh, no, no. That'd be a really yeah. tall human. <laughs> well... Yeah. Okay, 24. You got Anatomy's it. not my thing. No, that's okay. You got we three just out of four. That. So you are almost a champ. Can we say that? <laughs> you get an A for effort. Okay, so yeah, three quarters. So 75%. A solid C solid plus. Solid C. Solid C. And not even a C plus. It's a solid C. Way to go. C is average, and that is acceptable. Yeah, All that's the right. story of my life. I know, right? Me too. I was never a straight A student. <laughs> All right, so we are going to talk about something pretty deep and important and we've lived through this and so I thought we could maybe share our insight uh, from what we have been through uh, Mm -hmm. with our own son. So we're going to talk about what do parents do immediately after their child receives their autism diagnosis? Okay. Okay. They they get referred for an evaluation, they Uh take their child and boom, the medical personnel, whoever does the evaluation says your child 
is autistic, right? Mm -hmm. Now what? Okay. So you and I very much understand how overwhelming uh, as parents getting that diagnosis for your child can be. Mm -hmm. Um, We know because we've been there, right? right? Aaron is now, our son is autistic and he is now 18 years old. He's a senior in high school and he's rocking and rolling. Um, In 2007, Aaron got his provisional diagnosis of autism from his local pediatrician Mm -hmm. who tried for a long time to get us to go get like a formal diagnosis we ended up putting it off for several years, but he did then get his formal diagnosis uh, from a long day of traumatizing evaluations. Uh, remember that day? Mm-hmm. It was it was really hardcore. Not a at, fun day. No, not a fun day. It was at an autism center associated with a um, university um, here in Missouri, and so it's part of a large uh, hospital system. So very much it follows kind of this medical model mm-hmm. of disability. And so right. following the evaluation, I remember the team said, sat you and I down we were kind of swept into a room and you know they gave us the diagnosis and they basically instructed us to begin um intensive behavior therapy right. like right away um and they kind of made it seem like it was urgent and we really shouldn't waste any time mm-hmm. um they recommended a minimum of 20 hours of behavior therapy but really encouraged us to consider 40 you know right. and so it was this right. whole like we were thrown here we have this very young child and we were like what the heck you know right. they kind of made us feel like we had missed the boat because um, we didn't go for several years after, you know, he was probably six, seven years old. I think he's around six or so yeah, when we got the right. formal diagnosis. Um, so and they just, they just told us what we already knew. Yeah. We already knew he was autistic. Right. We had come to grips with that. We yeah. just didn't long, know if long he time needed. Before that, we just didn't have the formal right. diagnosis. Right. And our pediatrician recommended we get that formal diagnosis because he said if he ever needs disability as an adult, he has to have a medical diagnosis by a certain age or they won't honor it. But so, I think we had already had discussions that we weren't going to go with a... We we already knew we weren't going to go behavior therapy. Behavior yeah. therapy. Yeah. Right. I'm an early intervention speech language pathologist. So I had already, you know, you and I had had long discussions that mm-hmm. we weren't interested in trying to change him or try to make right. him act. You so know. we didn't miss the boat. No, we didn't. They made us feel like we did, though. You know, they right. tried to insinuate that maybe we had taken too long in getting that evaluation process started. And so we took their very large, um, uh, uh, kind of folder of paperwork, you know, with all of their recommendations. And Mm -hmm. um, I remember the staff was under the assumption that we would be back every year for follow-up visits for them to reevaluate and see how much progress they made. Yeah, I remember getting emails after that. Yeah, frequently they thought we would be back. Um, We chose a different route. And so um, what I want to talk about today, what we want to talk about today, is what happens immediately following that diagnostic evaluation, Mm -hmm. right? When your child is given that diagnosis. So what I want you to know, if you're a parent of a newly diagnosed child, is that most of the time medical professionals are going to recommend speech therapy, occupational therapy, and or behavior therapy to every child diagnosed with autism. And it's kind of like this blanket recommendation based on the diagnosis alone. Boilerplate. Yeah, it is boilerplate. This is what we do in this situation kind of thing. Yeah, and I guess what is concerning to me is this intensive therapy is recommended based on that diagnosis alone, but without really considering the unique strengths and needs um, of the child or the unique needs and desires of the family. Like nobody ever asked us. No. What do you want for your son? What do you, you know, what kind of, what do you want to get out of therapy? Like Mm -hmm. nobody ever asked us. There was just an assumption that if your child's autistic, they need this certain path of therapy 
and it was going to be intensive and you just better hold on because your life's getting ready to be kind of turned upside down, you know, from what you are used to. And so I think what is so overwhelming for parents is there's oftentimes this pressure to make a rapid decision about their child's therapy journey before they've even really had time to process, Mm -hmm. you know, the diagnosis. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's make a decision right now. Yeah. Like, okay, do you want us to go ahead and have this therapy company call you on Monday? And, mm-hmm. you know, most parents are like, they're reeling after that, yeah. that just sort of, I don't know, yeah, it's and I, overwhelming. And I, th- I think it's important that when parents do get this diagnosis, that they give themselves time to process. Yeah. This. Time to process. Absolutely. And then assess things on their own mm-hmm. and not go headlong into this without actually taking a minute Mm -hmm. to think about it to think about it about what you want and what um you believe that your child needs needs and wants and what's best for your family because if you have other children in your family Mm -hmm. um you know if there are um you know other circumstances you have to consider finances you have to consider transportation you have to consider availability Mm -hmm. right to get your child some family some parents work two jobs you know maybe parents work nights i mean there's a lot to consider there is and and, you know we're in the age of immediacy you know where everything is immediate right i need it now i need it yesterday everything's now Mm -hmm. but you don't have to rush into this. No, no. So I think it's fair to say most parents struggle deciding which therapies to take, you know, to mm-hmm. to get for their child. But also then this whole idea of, well, how much? You know, how much therapy should I right. give my two-year-old? Does my two-year-old really need a full-time how do you, job? How do you answer that question? It's, it is tough. It is tough, I mean, right? seriously, I, I, I don't know how... Is that a question that can be answered? Well, this is what we're going to talk about is how do you determine what is appropriate, right, for your young child? How much therapy? What type of therapy? So in order to have this conversation, I want to start with some things that we want you as parents to know about autism, okay, mm-hmm. first of all, okay? And then what we're going to do is talk a little bit about what is the purpose of therapy? Because you got to ask yourself, what am I hoping to get out of therapy yeah. for my child? Okay, so mm-hmm. let's start with just a few quick nuggets for families and caregivers to know about autism. Okay. Autism is a diagnosis that helps professionals and caregivers, you as parents as well, mm-hmm be able to understand how to best support your child's learning and development. So the diagnosis is important because it helps us understand, oh, this child is wired a little bit differently okay. from neurotypical children. Right. So right. we call um, this child a neurodivergent child. So neurodivergent children uh, develop differently from neurotypical children. So the diagnosis gives us um, kind of a way to understand, oh, this child is going to have a different path in development. And right. so that's why that diagnosis is important. So here's what I want you to know about autistic children. They learn differently. They play differently. They communicate and acquire language differently. Mm -hmm. They process sensory input differently. 100%. Yeah. They relate to other people differently. Right. It doesn't mean they don't relate to other people. No. They just simply do it differently. And they experience the world differently. So one thing I always encourage everybody to do is use the word difference instead of deficit right? Autistic children don't have, um, we don't want to say, oh, they have sensory deficits or they have play deficits or they have communication deficits. We say they're different, right? Yeah. They have a unique way of doing, of doing all of those all of things, things of, of learning and developing. Yes. The second thing I want you to know about autism is that it's not an illness and it's not a disease. So we're not looking for a cure. 
Mm-hmm. Now, back when Aaron was diagnosed, that provisional diagnosis in 2007, they were absolutely looking for a cure. Mm-hmm. All the money that yeah. was being raised was going to look for a cure for autism. Because your life is over, Yeah, right? because there's this, I, this thought know, process he, he, that, he, oh... Yeah, yeah. That somehow his life is less because, right, because he's, he's autistic. Right, so that's why Temple Grandin's famous words, different, not less. Right. Right, Every, that's what we I'm have to I'm still a little salty about all that. Oh, I know, because there but. really wasn't an, an idea. They, they kind of indicated to us that we needed to hurry up and get Aaron fixed because, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of this broken version of a child, and surely you don't want this broken version, so you want us to quote-unquote fix him, right? Yeah. And, and so I he, never, ever thought he was broken. No, no, ever. but society really did back then. I mean, it was very much considered something that needed to be cured, right? Yep. Okay, so autism is a different yet valid way of being human. That's what everybody needs to understand, okay? It, it is it is valid, okay? Mm-hmm. There are many, many autistic people in the world. There always have been autistic people. There always will be. We just didn't used to know what to, to call them, right? I right. mean, autism is a fairly new term in the grand scheme of things. So um, the third thing, autistic children have strengths and needs just like every other child in the world, mm-hmm. okay? Yep. Um, it's interesting. People sometimes have, over the years, have asked Jim and I if, we ever wished Aaron wasn't autistic and it's just such a and I know we've talked about this before on the podcast Mm -hmm. it's a really difficult question which we don't ever answer because if you ask us if we wish Aaron weren't autistic basically what you're asking is is do we wish we had a different son (laughs) because autism is is part of who Aaron is it's in his DNA and so you can't ask me um I think what people mean is do you ever wish Aaron didn't struggle um and you've got to understand that all children struggle we have two neurotypical children and they have struggled yeah. Just, you know, in just in, in the, different In their ways. own unique exactly. ways. Exactly. It's so, just, just like we did growing up. We exactly. had our own struggles. Exactly. So, so every single child. So if it's, I think it's a difference in that his struggles aren't the same as other people's struggles. Right. right. So because his aren't the same, then somehow, you know, that difference makes, him makes, him, makes mm-hmm. it worse. Yeah, or exactly. Not, exactly. As, not as good. Yeah. So the fourth thing about autism is I want you to understand that autistic children often have challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I want you to understand that most of the time, the reason for that those challenging behaviors is because of either an unmet need or a missing skill. Okay. It is not because autistic children have behavior disorders and are inherently naughty. Okay. Right, so right, right. we have to move away from this idea that autistic children are bad, you know, right. are, are naughty. They are not... Um, uh, uh, Dr. What's his name? Ross Green, um, child psychologist, has this great quote, and I say it all the time. Um, children, kids do well when they can. Mm-hmm. Kids do well when that's, that's they good. can. I, I love that. And when they can't, it is our responsibility as adults to create an environment in which they can be successful mm-hmm. instead of blaming the child for having an unmet need or a missing skill. Oof. Whew, salty, Dang. right? <laughs> kids do well when they can that's right okay so when choosing therapy services for your autistic child here's what i want to encourage you to do i want to encourage you to choose therapists who are neurodiversity affirming and we have done an episode on neurodiversity affirming services we've done uh, an episode earlier on writing neurodiversity affirming goals so make sure Mm -hmm. if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast you can go back and listen to those episodes um i also do a lot of posts on social media about neurodiversity affirming services so Right. Um, when you are choosing a neurodiversity affirming therapist, you want to choose uh, those who focus on building an authentic connection with your child instead of on establishing compliance. Mm. Okay. Yeah. F- creating, 
choosing therapy services that are basically aimed at um, blind obedience. Mm -hmm. That is really a concern because, again, we want autistic children to be successful, right? And they do well when they can. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not doing well, the goal shouldn't be compliance. The goal should be to help figure out why aren't they doing well. Right. right. What is the unmet need or the missing skill? And then we can support that. So blind obedience or compliance based therapy, mm -hmm. um, just know that you are probably going to exacerbate behaviors. Okay? okay. If your autistic yeah. child already has challenging behaviors and you decide I'm going to choose therapy that's compliance based, get ready. Well, especially when you don't have a rapport or any sort of exactly. relationship with the child and you're going to come in there and you're going to make put demands on put them demands right on. away. Absolutely. So that's that's, that's a tall order right is, there. It I, is. I don't care if that child is autistic, autistic or, or, not. or not. Right, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of this, you guys, very much applies to children with all, of all disabilities, right? right? I mean, I'm talking, we're talking today specifically about autism, but you've got to understand that choosing therapists who focus on building an authentic connection with your child uh, really should be the premise for any child, right? Mm -hmm. Any uh, services for any child. So uh, authentic connection, relationship-based learning. That's one of my favorite terms. I use that an awful lot. All right. The second thing is you want to choose therapists who focus on stretching your child's strengths instead of fixing their deficits mm -hmm. that are identified on standardized tests. Okay. okay? Yeah. So figure out what they are good at, figure out what their interests are. Right. And like a rubber band, you want to stretch those, mm -hmm. right? You want to stretch the strengths and build new skills, but build off of things they're already good at right. instead of saying, ooh, I'm going to take all these skills you can't do and I'm going to teach you to do those. Right. Well, you know, good luck with that, right? right. Because it's really hard to um, uh, fail repeatedly. It's much better if we can build off their strengths. So I kind of put this, if I can put it in a, in a sports Ooh, I love it. Yes. Um, analogy, like when you're first starting out playing basketball, right? You're not shooting from the three-point line. Oh, yes. Where you shoot? You're shooting from, you're doing layups. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're around the hoop. You're not that far away. Mm -hmm. So start small mm -hmm. and work your way up. Yep. I so, love that. That's a great analogy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And we just, we want children to experience success. Does that make sense? We want them to have success. We mm -hmm. want them to, we want to build up those successful moments instead of asking them to do things that they can't do. Right. And, and so the next thing is we want to find therapists who address skills that are relevant and meaningful to the child instead of teaching isolated skills that are on some milestone checklist mm -hmm. or isolated skills that are on some standardized test right. and say, oh, I remember when we had a therapist say, well, Aaron can't stack four blocks. And we were like, <laughs> well, in the grand scheme of things, does that matter right now? And they were like, yeah, we have to, we can't move on until he can stack four blocks. And I remember being so very frustrated with that <laughs> because here we had a child who had such significant sensory needs. Right. We at the time really didn't understand no. the everything we know now about sensory right. processing. Right. And and so we were just trying to find somebody who could help us figure out how to get Aaron to sleep at night, how we could get him to like um, wear a shirt that wasn't green. Remember, we went through that period of time yeah. where he'd only wear a green shirt. We couldn't brush his teeth to save. I mean, we had all of these struggles related to sensory, right. but all anybody seemed to care about was getting him to stack blocks and they wanted him to play appropriately with the Fisher Price barn. And all those animals. And I remember thinking, Aaron doesn't care about the barn, right? No. Hey, one thing I, I just thought of, um, 
we were talking about strengths-based. I just want to give you an example from our son. Um, Aaron has always had a deep interest in letters. Right. Okay, so Aaron has hyperlexia, which mm-hmm. is when a child reads before it's developmentally expected. Right, okay? right. Um, now, with hyperlexia, there's often a receptive and expressive language impairment too, which Aaron absolutely, being autistic, right. you know, has that. But Aaron was reading uh, and spelling words, very long words, by age three. Words like observatory and right. astronaut. We have pictures. We were always so mesmerized so what we do now is we say oh Aaron has a deep interest in letters and Aaron can spell so mm-hmm. that becomes a strength so I remember we would use his ability to spell to help facilitate spoken language because mm-hmm. he was so interested in letters if we would write words he would say them because right. but not if they weren't written he was much more interested in yeah, them and I, and I don't think he ever sounded out words no, in he's my, never in learned my to decode. recall mm-mm, I mean mm-mm. I think he just he memorized them all well and it's amazing he only had to see a word once and he never would misspell it no. because that's what hyperlexia it's a very fast his memory is incredible it is it really is another thing um, that I am just recognizing is that Aaron also has hypernumeracy which is like hyperlexia but with numbers so Aaron um, has always been interested in dates mm-hmm. and in numbers so like Aaron can tell you exactly what year every Disney and every Pixar oh, movie was released can I, can I give you an example please do on, on the way to uh, horseback riding today so I'm listening to a rock and roll station, you know, old, I guess, 70s rock, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Smoke on the Water comes on by uh, Deep Purple. Uh-huh. And he says, oh, Dad, this this song came out in 1972. <laughs> I'm he's, like, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. He's so, so amazing. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, he... He remembers that stuff because it's something he's interested in. But he's in. interested in dates. He's yes. interested in things that are constant, right? right? He's interested in things that he can and he, memorize. And he loves music, too. And he loves music. But he also, that's what I've realized, one of the reasons he likes NASCAR so much is because every car has a number. Right. And every racetrack, they, I did a post on this yesterday, mm-hmm. um, uh, every racetrack has, you know, is different in how long it is, how many right. laps each race is. So anything that's tied to numbers, mm-hmm. Aaron has perpetual calendars i think he has three in his room right. he has countdowns to how many days till the next holiday right so that becomes a strength so do you think that when we start looking at job placement for aaron that we would look at something that's related to numbers that's related to dates right can, can I, mean, I can i confess something oh 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 are we in the confessional yeah now? we're in okay. the, we're well we don't do that but <laughs> um i rely on him a lot to tell me when um, there's an appointment or something that, that <laughs> he has he to go to because when... I know he's going to know. And he would so never forget. I don't know when it is, but he does. And he knows the exact time and he'll right. even tell you what time we need to leave because he knows exactly how many minutes it takes right. to get to the dentist or to, how yeah. to get, to, get so, to horseback riding. That, that's my little... That's your little confession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I use, I use his, excellent. his excellent memory I love <laughs> to it. my benefit. I love it. All right. Let's get back to our list here. Um, I encourage parents to choose therapists who create a positive learning environment and make your child smile and feel good about themselves instead of creating a stressful, traumatizing learning environment. If your child cries mm-hmm. when walking in the therapy you know, yeah, center, that's, that's, that's going to be a problem, yeah. right? Um, there should be joyful um, uh, responses to right. seeing their therapist, to spending time with their therapist and honestly as the parent you should get a pretty joyful vibe as well like right. you should yeah. enjoy the interactions with well that i think person. anything that makes you miserable it's probably something you consider not doing anymore right you right. know yeah i mean i know Absolutely. school makes a lot of people miserable but you know maybe you can do if your teachers can help you right 
right. maybe it isn't so Then miserable. it wouldn't be so miserable, right? Uh, also, I encourage parents to choose therapists who honor your child's interests, mm-hmm. who support your child's sensory needs, and who provide unrestricted access to multimodal communication, okay? I know as parents, you are going to want your child to talk, right? If your child is not yet verbal, that's always like a goal, but the goal should always be communication in any format. So um, it's very important that your therapist is, or your therapists, if they're plural, uh, are really um, uh, honoring their interests. So no matter what they like, Aaron um, has always, and many autistic children enjoy lining up toys. They Mm -hmm. enjoy sorting toys, categorizing toys. Uh, um, Many autistic children don't show a ton of interest in store-bought toys. I mean, some do, but you need to be okay with the fact that um, if your child isn't interested in store-bought toys, but would prefer to play with um, spoons or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever it is, um, you need to find therapists who honor that, who don't try to tell you there's only one right way to play with a toy that, you know, you want right. to honor every, uh, the child's play. There is play is by definition, the spontaneous activity of children. So that means there is no wrong way to play. Hmm. Hmm? Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Huh? That's, that's good. I like that. Yeah. All right. I encourage parents to choose therapists who seek to understand the why behind your child's challenging behavior. And again, I know I said this earlier. I'm going to say it again. Uh, challenging behavior is usually because of an unmet need mm-hmm. or because of a missing developmental skill. Okay. okay. So, and I think sometime we could do a whole episode just on that if we haven't. Maybe we already have. I'll have to look back and see. <laughs> um, but you you want to really think twice about therapists who focus on trying to change your child's behavior with reinforcers and punishment, mm-hmm. but don't ever seek to understand the why behind those behaviors. Is that the same? I mean, when you say reinforcers, that'd be like punishment, saying, or is it? Is that like withholding things? Yeah, it would be like, uh, oh, Aaron always liked, our son always liked those little tiny colorful sorting bears, right. like preschool sorting bears, and he always liked to hold them in his hands. I call them his comfort items. Mm-hmm. And what therapists or teachers would often do is take that from his hand and tell him he had to work for it. So they would say, first, do your work, then you can have bear. And so it was taking something from the child in an effort to kind of coerce the child to comply. Mm-hmm. But the problem is... Aaron figured out real quickly, oh, I can't trust you. You're going to take my desired items. And so many of the kids that I support, um, I'm an autism consultant in in a few school districts around the country, and that's pretty common practice to withhold things Mm. or to offer like, oh, if you do this, I'll give you a fruit snack. And so it's really not teaching, it's not building relationships and it's not teaching intrinsic motivation. It's dangling the carrot and using these extrinsic reinforcers. The problem is, and we could do a whole episode on this too, Jim, many autistic children have something called demand avoidance. Mm -hmm. And the more they feel like they're being manipulated, the more they will resist. Yeah, okay. or want to elope. I mean, they're just... Or they'll they're, take off. Yeah. yeah, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. That's all going to um, come out because that's challenging behavior. Here's Here, I'm going to back up. Just remember this, parents. Challenging behavior is a stress response. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so uh, we don't... We don't. We have to stop assuming that challenging behavior is willful disobedience. Is just a child uh, choosing to to be naughty. Um, most of the time, um, it is because of an unmet need or a missing skill. And if we can start getting to the why behind that behavior, uh, we can start to uh, really address those behaviors. Okay. Uh, I encourage parents to choose therapists who strive to support your ability 
as parents and caregivers to enhance your own child's learning and development dur- during everyday uh, routines and interactions at home. So mm-hmm. while it is common practice to take your child to a therapist and the parent waits in a waiting room, right? right or right. for the child to get their therapy, maybe at school, obviously that's different because the parent isn't at school. But for if you're going to a therapy clinic, okay, mm-hmm. it's so important that you find therapists who are in the business of educating and empowering parents to support their own child's learning and development at home. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, when you're calling around to find therapists, uh, these are great questions to ask, you know, right. to inquire about, to get some feedback on. So anyways, I know this was a lot of information that we covered in a very short amount of time, uh, and I know that it's all extremely overwhelming. So if you're a parent of a newly diagnosed child, first thing you want to do is take a breath. Yes. You want to give yourself time. If someone's pressuring you to hurry up and make a decision, um, I would just tell them, you know, I, my, me and I my, my, my partner, we need a couple weeks uh, to process this yeah. and we'll be in touch, you yeah. know, and not feel pressured to hurry up and sign them up for, right. you know, X number of hours of therapy. So it's really important when you're thinking about therapy is to ask yourself, what's the purpose of therapy? Because the purpose of therapy should not be to make your child less autistic. You can't Mm, do that, okay? Therapy is not to fix deficits or to make a child less autistic. Uh, Therapy should really, the purpose of therapy should be to build relevant, meaningful, functional skills. Right. Right. It's really about about um, building off your child's strengths mm-hmm. and helping your child uh, be able to be the best version of themselves. Yeah, help them they develop. Can be. Yeah, help them learn and develop in their own in unique way. In their own unique way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the most important thing as parents is to follow your gut instinct. Right. right? If something Absolutely. doesn't feel right, then it's not right. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to honor that and give yourself grace during this whole process. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't, Jim and I can't reiterate that enough. We felt very overwhelmed and we felt a little scared because we didn't really have anyone to talk to mm-hmm. about it. Right. Um, no, we didn't. So thank goodness we had each other. And I, <laughs> I don't know how. We well, thank have... goodness that, I mean, you have all of this research and everything that you have available to you. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. this is how we learned. Yeah, over we, the years. we really the 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 thing we did that I think was the most powerful is we started researching everything we could on sensory yeah. because we knew that was his number one reason for his challenging. And when behaviors. you say we, it's more you. Well, I, me, I, and then I'm I would there. read stuff to you and tell you <laughs> what I learned in my research. Yeah. yeah, you'd be like, "This is what you need to know," and I'm like, "Okay, okay, it makes sense, right? Yeah, absolutely." So, um, thank you so much for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast. Please tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your colleagues if you're a professional. Uh, uh, give us a listen. Um, you know, we would appreciate a five star review if uh, you are enjoying the podcast. So now get out there, be kind, be accepting, be present, put your screens down for a bit, and hang out with the people you love most in this world. And please, please get your mammogram. Early detection could save your life. As a 10 year breast cancer survivor, it certainly saved mine. Until we meet again, cheers. Mm-hmm.